Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, and welcome to the Atlantic Power Corporation first quarter 2020 results and conference call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Please note this event is being recorded. I'm now going to turn the conference over to Brian Barlabreski. Please proceed. Welcome, and thank you for joining us this morning. Our results for the three months ended March 31st, 2020, were issued by press release yesterday afternoon and are available on our website, www.atlanticpower.com, and on Edgar and CDAR. Management's prepared remarks and the accompanying presentation for today's call and webcast can be found in the conference call section of our website. A replay of today's webcast will be available on our website for a period of one year. Financial figures that we will be presenting are stated in U.S. dollars and are approximate unless otherwise noted. Please be advised that this conference call and presentation will contain forward-looking statements. As discussed in the company's safe harbor statement on page two of today's presentation, these statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties that are more fully described in our various securities filings. Actual results may differ materially from such forward-looking statements. In addition, the financial results in the press release and the presentation include both GAAP and non-GAAP measures, including project-adjusted EBITDA. For reconciliations of this measure to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measure, to the extent that they are available without unreasonable effort, please refer to the press release, the appendix of today's presentation, our annual report on Form 10-K, or our quarterly report on Form 10-Q, all of which are available on our website. Now I'll turn the call over to Jim Moore, President and CEO of Atlantic Power. Thank you, Ron. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. With me on the call this morning are Terry Ronan, our CFO, Joe Cofalici, our EVP Commercial Development, Nick Galati, our SVP Operations, and several other members of the Atlantic Power Management Team. All of us at Atlantic Power hope the call finds you and your families healthy and safe. Uh, The results for the quarter are provided in the press release, the presentation, and the prepared remarks, which were posted on our website last evening. Please review those materials. Uh, I'll cover the key points this morning and then expand a bit on our free cash flow outlook and thoughts on capital allocation. Following my remarks, we'll take your questions. First, uh, I'll address our response to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, As we always say to our employees, safety first. The team here reacted quickly in implementing recommended guidelines designed to protect health and safety of our employees. The steps taken are detailed in the presentation and have allowed us to continue operating our plants safely and reliably. 
To date, we've been fortunate that none of our employees or contractors working at Atlantic Power sites has tested positive for the virus. As I wrote in the annual report letter last month, our plant employees are providing an essential service, and they are among the heroes working for all of us are for our benefit today, and we thank all of them. With our substantially contracted business model, predominantly investment-grade rated customers and stable liquidity, we believe we're in a strong position to weather this crisis as well as the economic downturn that has resulted from it. In terms of first quarter results, project adjusted EBITDA modestly exceeded our expectations, primarily due to above average water flows at Curtis Palmer. We remain on track to achieve our 2020 guidance for project adjusted EBITDA of 175 to 190 million. We continue to strengthen the balance sheet by repaying 21.6 million of consolidated debt from operating cash flow. Our leverage ratio at quarter end was 3.6 times, or 3.3 times net of cash. During the quarter, we executed amendments to our credit facilities, extending the maturity dates of our term loan and revolver to April 2025 and reduced the spread by 25 basis points. We had a very active and successful quarter in terms of capital allocation. As I said on our February call, we would act with speed and scale when opportunity arose, as we did with the substantial issuer bid, or SIB, that we launched in late March. The completion of the SIB on May 1st took us up to $33 million of common share repurchases this year alone. Following the completion of the SIB, we have liquidity of approximately $125 million. Our normal course issuer bid, or NCIB, remains in place for the preferred shares and will recommence for purchases of common shares and convertible debentures in mid-May. It will take us some months to rebuild cash to the level where we could do another SIB. On the operations front, we continue to make progress on the construction of our Cadillac plant, which has been offline since the fire in September of last year. To date, the schedule has not been affected by the pandemic, and we continue to target a return to service in the third quarter of this year. Our Williams Lake plant operated well during the quarter, though fuel supply remains the key challenge. On the commercial front, although we have had nothing substantive to report on Oxnard, we recently learned from the Ontario government that it intends to extend the PPA of CalStock by six months during which the government will evaluate the longer-term role of biomass in the province. Turning to our five-year outlook for project-adjusted EBITDA and cash flow, I discussed this in a more general way on the February call, but as you will note from page five of the presentation, this quarter we have provided our estimates. As I indicated then, our plants are substantially contracted with approximately 95% of our project-adjusted EBITDA and operating cash flow for the 2020 to 2024 period generated under existing PPAs and forward capacity sales that have little sensitivity to market conditions. We also have a very limited foreign currency or interest rate exposure, and our fuel cost risk is well-managed through contracts and other commercial arrangements. Operational performance is the primary risk during this period. The balance, less than 5%, comes from assumed recontracting of certain plants at merchant capacity and energy sales. 
We expect our project adjusted EBITDA to be relatively stable through 2022 and then decline after that due to PPA expirations 2022 through 2024. During this five-year period, we expect to generate approximately $520 million to $570 million of operating cash flow, or an average of more than $100 million annually. We plan to use the majority of this operating cash flow and the man chief sales proceeds to repay term loan and project debt, totaling approximately $423 million, which is more than 60% of our total debt. After funding CapEx and preferred dividend payments during this period, we expect to generate discretionary cash flow of $115 million to $165 million. What will we do with the cash? Page six of the presentation shows capital allocation alternatives. We don't use a predetermined plan for capital allocation. Our approach is to assess the impact on our estimates of intrinsic value per share while balancing risk and reward. We would invest externally only when we believe the returns are superior to those we can achieve by investing internally or by repurchasing shares. Going forward, we'll continue to look for opportunities to deploy this cash in ways that will grow our intrinsic value per share. If we did nothing, however, which is the least likely scenario, the buildup of cash would put us in a net debt neutral position sometime in 2025. If we allocated all this cash, to repurchases of common and or preferred shares, we would, at current prices, repurchase significant numbers of shares if we decide that's our best use of capital. We also continue to seek external investments that meet our return criteria. Our capacity to do acquisitions is bolstered by the $102 million of availability under our revolver. The most likely scenario for the use of our discretionary cash is a combination of these alternatives. In conclusion, we were well positioned coming into this year and into the pandemic due to our work on the balance sheet, debt maturity profile, cost, and liquidity over the last five years. We are a very small company in a very difficult sector, but we didn't have to apply for any government money, and we didn't. We committed to our employees that there will be no virus-related salary reductions, job reductions, or benefit cuts. We also materially accelerated our return of capital to shareholders. And we are positioning to make asset acquisitions opportunistically. Looking forward, the possibility of greater inflation down the road resulting from this economic crisis and the possibility that energy assets may emerge from the current period of unpopularity as inflation hedges gives us some realistic upside potential. I am more bullish about the outlook for our business three to five years out than I have been since I joined Atlantic Power in January of 2015. We share our shareholders' pain in the current price, but we're using Mr. Market's depression to try to accrete value for remaining shareholders. We'll now take your questions. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchdown phone. Here you're using the speakerphone. Please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. Our first question comes from Rupert Moore of uh, National Bank. 
Rupert, please proceed. Good morning, everyone. Um, Hi. So quick question on capital allocation. Uh, so looking at option C on, on growth, we do have the weakness in the market today. Are, are you seeing any opportunities for M&A um, popping up with, with this market weakness? Well, Rupert, this is Jim. We haven't, we haven't seen anything uh, immediately, but what we've done is uh, we're always trying to have dry powder on the balance sheet and be prepared to go. We've got the revolver to back us on that. Our team uh, is always turning over rocks, looking at things opportunistically. Uh, our thought is if this is a quick you know, V-shaped deal, there probably won't be a lot of opportunity. But if it strings out over a couple of years and the economic damage is, is worse than people are recognizing right now, there, there may be some ability to pick off uh, assets. And so we've accelerated our, our turning over of rocks and uh, we're talking to other uh, large financial institutions about investing alongside us. And uh, so we think, you know, we'll be patient. Uh, the first four years we we're here, we didn't do anything. And then uh, in 1819, we did 45 million pretty quickly. So that's that's our investment philosophy always: is to be patient, disciplined, be willing to be contrarian and countercyclical, and when opportunities emerge that have compelling returns, then then act with speed and scale. Uh, I, I I'm not uh, terribly excited about uh, lots of really cheap things coming on the market soon. I think we'll have to be patient. And it'll play out over a couple of years. The utilities, uh, you know, probably don't have as much to sell uh, that we would be interested in buying as a few years back. The IPP sector as a whole, the last couple of years, they've, they've really rationalized capital allocation and how they go about things. Uh, you know, but we're looking, we're looking at other holders of assets, and uh, and we'll, we'll see what pops out. But there hasn't been an immediate. You know, gee, there's a bunch of stuff to jump on that wasn't there two months ago. All right, great, thanks for the color. And secondly, on Oxnard, so I understand you're still looking at your options for Oxnard. If it is mothballed, what would be the, the cost of maintaining the site? And, and can you walk us through the math on uh, what happens to that site if you do decommission? I understand you. You own the uh, the real estate. It looks like it might be in an, an interesting location. Uh, mm -hmm. What does the math look like on the value of, of that site versus, say, decommissioning costs? And, and maybe if you could also talk about other other options for the site. Sure, great. Uh, Joe Kofalichi will answer that for us. Yeah. Good, uh, <clears throat> good morning, Rupert. Um, uh, if if uh, we're unsuccessful uh, with uh, and you know entering into an RA contract or an RMR contract uh, then uh, our plan would be to mothball the site and uh, we have no immediate plans or schedule if that were to happen to decommission the site um, you know the site we believe it's in a valuable location uh, we believe the site has interconnection value uh, there's the opportunity for us to repurpose the site uh, we also would have the opportunity potentially to uh, sell the site to someone else, and so uh, there is there, there's no immediate plans for uh, decommissioning the site. Um, we're not at this point. We're not we're not discussing uh, what what the estimate would be for decommissioning costs. Um, but you know, we 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 have talked about decommissioning costs previously at San Diego, and this is a similar size plant to that. Um, 
And as far as uh, uh, mothballing costs, again, we have no estimates that we're providing at this time, but you know they're 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 not they're not significant. Uh, probably similar to what we're incurring at North Bay and Capital Station. The value of of the real estate uh, be material. Well, the, the value of the real estate itself for uh, non non power purposes is probably pretty. It, 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 it's not great because it's in a pretty rural uh, location and, and, and arguably a depressed location. But it, uh, the, the interconnection itself uh, is, could be valuable, and we are currently in a constrained area. Very good. Thanks for coming. I'll get back in the queue. Thank you, Rupert. Our next question comes from Nelson Edge of RBC Capital Markets. Nelson, please proceed. Uh, great, thanks. Just on uh, capital allocation, um, just following up on Rupert's question, I, I think the focus uh, on growth has been on the M&A side, but uh, have you seen any uh, organic development opportunities pop up lately, or is the, does the focus remain on M&A for growth? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because over uh, – Let's see, so I started in this uh, business in 86. I think uh, Joe Kofaliki and some of us have, have been a similar kind of uh, career start points. And most of the time we were doing uh, greenfield development. Uh, we, we haven't seen uh, the last few years really good economics on greenfield development, but uh, if, if we do see that emerge, we'd, we'd love to get back into that. That's something we understand very well. And, Basically, our, that was what our career was built on. Uh, but uh, today, uh, we're not seeing any great opportunities uh, on the development side in terms of economics. Okay. Um, and then sticking with uh, capital allocation, um, if my math is right, I think on the NCIB, you're about three-quarters through the press and about one-third through the uh, common shares. And obviously, you can do another SIB, but... Given the uh, large uh, amount of buybacks uh, completed to date, like should we expect uh, a pause for a few quarters and uh, before we see any more buybacks? Well, on the NCIB side, uh, you know, obviously we we drew, we drew down 25 million of cash to do the SIB. Uh, we got that up as quickly as we could in the midst of the of the sell-off. Uh, the uh, the NCIB picks back up in mid-May, and you know, with with the lower amounts of cash we have left, I'd ex I'd expect if prices are around where they are now, we'll 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 buy. Obviously, with 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 less scale, uh, and then and then real scale buying under an SIB, uh, you're right. It'll it'll take us a few months at least to build up our cash, uh, and then we'll see where prices are when when we feel we've got enough cash to make an SIB cost effective again. Uh, but right now, I mean, as as my my commentary is. You know, we're getting ready, and we'd love to buy assets. And we've, we've, you know, we've invested in billions of dollars of power plants over the years, uh, either greenfield development or acquisitions. And and we're, we love the things we did uh, the last couple of years. Uh, but you know, there's there's not a uh, a surfeit of uh, of great investment opportunities. I think in the acquisition of assets right now. But we do think, relative to our intrinsic value estimates. The price of our common shares uh, relative to cash uh, on cash returns, the press, and, and some of our other securities, 
uh, are really compelling. And, and, and so we've got plenty of uses for this capital we're outlining that's coming down the road to us. Okay, got it. Um, and then my next question relates to uh, CalStock. In terms of the uh, six-month contract extension, is it purely on the – is it on the exact same terms, meaning like should we expect the financial results from the second half of last year to be roughly consistent with what you expect uh, for this year? Yeah, I'll, I'll let Joe answer that. Yeah. <clears throat> Good morning, Nelson. Um, we, um, we're in the process of working out the terms with the, uh, with, with the OEFC, and so until, until we have that executed, uh, you know, we don't, uh, we're not going to disclose uh, what, what, what the terms are. Um, as far as the prospects going forward, obviously, it will depend on the, on the price uh, that we get, and then um, we also need to uh, – you know, recontract with our fuel suppliers, and we're in the process of reaching out with them. And when we have a better handle on on the terms of the extension uh, and uh, the cost of the of, of fuel over the next six months, then we'll be able to say more. So we we should be in a good position to do that the next quarter. Okay. And then big picture on um, biomass supply for for CalStock. How, how does that look? Like, obviously, Williams Lake uh, was was a bit uh, it's a bit difficult in that region, but for CalStock, um, can you give us a bit more color on the availability of biomass? Yeah, it, it, the the the, uh, the supply situation is much better at CalStock. Um, it's more a question of uh, um, cost there. You know, we we have some suppliers that we traditionally bought from that are close, and uh, our, our our fuel supply costs at CalStock are very low compared to our other our other biomass plants. It's actually a very good location that way. But um, so, so you know, we'll see how those mills are operating, particularly during the, the, the pandemic. I mean, you know, there, there has been an impact on some of the local mills as a result of the fall off of the construction industry. So we're monitoring that. That could have an impact on price. Uh, again, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to say more in the next quarter. Okay, thanks. I'll leave it there. Our next question comes from Josh Moore of TD Securities. John, please proceed. Uh, good morning. Thanks. Um, maybe, uh, maybe just turning back to capital allocation again quickly. Um, just a little more color on the decision to proceed with the SIB in this environment versus potentially keeping that $25 million as additional dry powder for potential external investments in our, if opportunities have prevent, presented themselves later this year. You know, just going back to your earlier comments, it's really the way to think about this that you know you're not expecting any kind of dislocation in the asset market to to occur in the near future and you know given the share price it was you know the most rational decision just to proceed with that SID now yeah so let, let me let me just as you ask that question it kind of I talked about the asset opportunities there and uh, kind of I don't know if everybody sat through that four and a half hour Warren Buffett deal and uh, his, his annual uh, general meeting was terrific, and as always, he's the uh, the teacher, and us value investors are the student. But if you looked at what he said, they they were ready to make investments, cash investments, and external growth, and and nobody knocked on their door, or they started knocking on their door, and they stopped pretty quickly when the Fed just rolled out this you know massive tsunami of liquidity, and then all of a sudden everybody went to normal 
you know, lending channels, uh, and, uh, and 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 there, the the imperative for people to go out and do fire sales was just, you know, pretty immediately snuffed out. And then at the same time, you know, on the public equity side, uh, he talked about it. You know, it, it takes a while to put you know capital to, into the market at scale and uh, at, at his size of the company. And my, my view is, you know, there were like two really good buying days in this downturn. Uh, and when it was like, okay, you know, I haven't bought anything other than Atlantic Power Stock for five years, and, and I started buying too, and there was a couple of days, but it was just a couple of days. So we, you know, the price of a stock was at 170-something, 78, whatever, and we're getting the SIB up. And then the day we announced it, the, the stock had run up to two bucks, and, and, and you know, we did it at $1.95 to $2.20. Uh, but I think on the on the on the public equity side, you've got to move quickly. And so our mantra for five years has been, you know, the Charlie Munger, you know, sit on your ass investing. You sit, you sit on T-bills and you're patient and you're contrarian and, 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 and you wait. And when opportunity comes, you move fast. And, and so I think it would be fair to say that we didn't think uh, the prospects of $25 million of cheap assets coming on the market uh, was very high, and we thought the price on our shares was very compelling. So we moved with speed uh, and with scale. I, on balance, you know, if you just if you just laid out a smorgasbord for us, I'd love to do more of those $45 million of acquisitions we did that lengthen the, the back end of our, our cash flow and, and strengthen our PPA profile. Uh, you know, it, it, all things being equal on returns, uh, we'd, we'd put uh, all of our money into that. Uh, we just haven't seen very many good things to do there the last five years. Okay, I uh, appreciate that color. And then um, just lastly on Curtis Palmer, just maybe how you're thinking about that uh, facilities post PPA look in the content. I know it's it's still probably going to be five years before you hit that uh, 10,000 gigawatt hour threshold, but just how you're thinking about that in the context of New York State's big push into adding sizable renewable capacity to its system and the state's broader decarbonization goals. Yeah, so I'll, I'll uh, I, 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 again on the, uh, let me just finish off on that acquisition side and, and, and uh, talked about how we use that 25 million, but we also have the revolver. So, uh, you know, we, we look at the cash as uh, what we can use for internal purchases and then the revolver uh, we can use for external. So it's, it's not an either or, uh, uh, but I would say that having said that we, so if we thought there was going to be a lot of assets coming down the pike, we could, we can use the revolver, uh, uh, but we 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 thought the immediate opportunity was so compelling on the shares that we wanted to buy as you know as many as we could as quickly as we could, and then and then even though we've drawn down the cash for that, we've got plenty of liquidity uh, to uh, to buy external assets. It's really kind of extraordinary. I mean, we're we're a mouse, right? We're a tiny company, a kind of a mighty mouse, maybe. But uh, uh, you know, to to come into this thing and be buying back 12% of your shares and reducing your leverage at the same time to 3.3 net and then have another $100 million on the revolver in case some assets come available. Uh, you know, I, I don't wish crashes on anybody. And, you know, as an American and as a human being, I, I wish this thing never happened. 
Uh, and uh, it's been a long slog for our shareholders. You know, it's the energy sector has gone from maybe 15% of the S&P 500 in September of, I think it was 2014 to maybe two and a half, three percent recently. So you know, none of us are none of us are happy with that. But uh, I think I think our ability to react in this 2020 period's been uh, a testament to you being contrarian, being frugal on the cost, and being conservative on the balance sheet when people are pushing you do do the opposite. Uh, and and uh, you know, so I think I think it's been it's been a great use of capital for our company and we're really well positioned going forward and i think i think some of the things that are going to come out of this uh may may lead to a better energy price future uh which which leads back to your your uh question about curtis palmer and let me let me kick that over to joe who's who's on top of that for us uh, thanks jim <clears throat> um you know just you, you know as you as you pointed out in, you know in your question uh, you know, it, it is a little early. Uh, having said that, you know, we are active in the market. We're out talking to people constantly about the asset. Um, as far as uh, the prospects for it, you know, we're very, we're very bullish on the asset. Uh, you know, New York has passed, uh, you know, a, a pretty ambitious climate bill that is a goal of 70% renewables by 2030, 100% uh, carbon-free by 2040. You know, the question with these things is, you know, they, 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 you know do, do they really occur? They generally ramp up over time. They're generally a little bit back-end weighted. And so in the case, for example, of the, of the 70% by 2030, it, you know, it, it starts to ramp up more significantly as you get closer to 2030. Uh, and so, you know, we'd expect that, you know, if, if the state stays on that track and maintains its plans, that, you know, about the time that our PPA is expiring there, we'd hope that the, the – uh, um, the, the, the requirement would be ramping up and that people would be looking for ways to, to, to fill that requirement. Uh, we also have uh, the carbon pricing proposal that's sort of sitting there, not going anywhere at the moment, but it's, it's hanging out there. All of those are potential upsides, and so, you know, we, we, we feel good about our prospects there, and actually, based on New York's plans, I think the timing of our PPA expiration is actually pretty good for us. Okay, uh, I appreciate all of that detail. Those are those are my questions. Thank you. And our final question comes from Rupert Moore of National Bank. Rupert, please proceed. Thanks. Uh, looking at at Calstock and the contract extension there, you make reference to uh, a review being undertaken on the uh, role of biomass in Ontario. Just wondering if you can give us some color of what you know about that review and and of course what would you like to see coming out of it no that's that's a great question um you know just so you know uh, you know we were informed of the of the, the six-month extension last week uh and it was uh you know on that call uh that the government laid out its plan to conduct this review and and we expect that uh that there'll be multiple ministries involved energy will obviously be involved and uh, forestry will be involved. We believe that the Ontario Forest Industry Association will play a significant role. Our local mills will be involved. I suspect other, other mills across the province will be involved directly, uh, the local community, and, I, and we expect other biomass generators. So we expect it will be a pretty, a pretty broad group uh, that, that, that will be involved. But, um, you know, as far as the details go and exactly what's going to happen, uh, 
you know, we, we, we don't know yet. So uh, you know, we'll obviously have more to say on this as, as it rolls out. Um, you know, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a good first step. You know, if you look back at Williams Lake, um, you'll recall that you know, our contract expired on us there. Uh, and, we, and it was only when we were operating under a, uh, a short-term extension that the government actually conducted this type of review and reached the conclusion that you know, biomass plants should be compensated for the other benefit streams that they provide. And uh, you know, we're hoping now that we have that opportunity to make our case here uh, and for the industry to make its case that uh, the same thing will happen here. But uh, we won't know until we get to the end of the process. And looking at that benefit stream, how much of the emphasis do you think is on economic benefits versus uh, climate benefits? How important are are the climate benefits to the equation? Uh, I, I'm not so sure the climate benefits are, are a major factor. Uh, generally, the discussion you know revolves around the fact that you know you, you are providing, and like wind and and, uh, and solar, a firm renewable power, so you're providing that stream. Uh, you're also providing critical support to the timber industry. Um, you're also providing uh, environmental support. You know, particularly this was a big deal at Williams Lake where they had significant forest fires. Where, you know, we're, we're cleaning up the forest, and so the, the the trick is is that when you're dealing with energy ministries or you're dealing with public utility commissions, they're focused generally on electric demand and electric rates, and it's it's the struggle is always how do you get the other ministries involved so that the, the province or the state takes a more wholesome view of the thing. Uh, and so it's, it's, ge it's, generally, it's generally those three areas. Uh, uh, and in the case of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of CalStock and the, the Hearst area, you know, the, the, the Ministry for Northern Development would be interested in this because there, there is uh, uh, support within the province of Ontario for development in the north and maintaining the economies of the north. So we, I'd add that one to the mix. So the uh, the outcome ideally would be uh, another power purchase agreement, or do you think it could be uh, some other form of subsidy? Uh, I think the most likely outcome would be another power purchase. Well, I mean, if we're successful, right, in the process, it would be another power purchase agreement like Williams Lake, where you have government making the decision that it makes sense to pay X for electricity because because you're valuing all three benefit streams. If you look throughout North America, uh, you know, when, when public utility commissions are evaluating this type of an issue, they generally always seem to come down on the side of, of, uh, of compensating for all these streams through, through electric rates. Uh, uh, you know, it, it is possible to do it some other way, but it would be very complicated. You know, we have been, we have been in discussion, for example, with the forestry ministry in Ontario, trying to figure out how they could make something work. At the end of the day, you know, we're a generator, and, and we, we, you know, we're producing power, and we're going to be on the grid, and we've got to be on the grid in a manner that works with the system that's in place at the time. Uh, so so it's, a, it, it's most likely a power contract. Thanks very much. I'll leave it there. This concludes our question and answer session. I would now like to turn the conference over to Jim Moore for any closing remarks. Okay, we appreciate your ownership uh, and interest in the company. Uh, we look forward to updating you on our progress as it unfolds. Uh, as always, we remain focused on uh, building and protecting intrinsic value per share in your company as best we can with long-term ownership orientation. 
thank you for your interest and your participation. We look forward to updating you on our progress uh, on the second quarter conference call. Thank you. Conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.